everybody, welcome to the third video in my top 50 favorite games of all time series. Let's just jump right into today's list. Today we're going to be doing number 21 through 30. So we'll start with number 30, and that's going to be Blood Rage. This is from Simon Inc., designed by Eric Lang. Uh, he has done several games kind of of this ilk, sort of territory control, area control, semi-battle type games. Uh, this one is my favorite of that set. Uh, the th reason that this one kind of uh, elevates itself above some of the others and some of the others of this style of area control game is very simple that it has a card drafting element to it. Uh, over the years, I've been a big fan of a, just a card drafting element in any kind of game, whether it's playing Magic the Gathering and drafting booster packs, or playing Seven Wonders, or uh, any other kind of card drafting element. Like, I love Sushi Go and stuff like that, too. I just really like that card drafting element. And so this takes that component and then mashes it together with different Viking tribes uh, vying for control of different areas and also trying to control different gods or godlike beings and using those to do combat and kind of sneak in and control points in different ways. This also has a, a cool little player board uh, that kind of drives actions. So it's very interesting that you can, uh, after you kind of draft cards, and then the way that you kind of take actions discreetly, uh, tracking it on this board, makes the timing of things very, very interesting as well. Uh, so I've liked this game at all of the different player counts. I even like it at the two-player count, all the way up until the five-player count. Uh, with two players, it's a little bit different because it's just a little bit of a zero-sum thing. Like, I control this, you contr control that. But the drafting element sort of helps counteract some of that stuff that might make it a little bit stale. It's still actually a pretty interesting game uh, at the two-player count. Uh, and then I like it all the way up to the five-player count. Frankly, I'll play this at any player count because, again, the drafting really adds an, a different kind of element uh, to this style of game. You can think of other games uh, that are like this that you might enjoy. I've also played El Grande, which is a much older game, and it, it has an interesting kind of cube um, drop mechanism. It's been several years since I played that, so I think I'm describing that somewhat inaccurately, but it's a really good game as well. He's also got a newer game that came out recently called Rising Sun, which is more of a negotiation style game. There's some other different kind of mechanical elements. I really like Rising Sun. I still have that in my collection. I will play that at any time. Uh, but actually, this is sort of based on an older design of his called Midgard, which is also a Viking-themed game with card drafting and area control. And this kind of just amps up the heavy metal, really, <laughs> part of the game. Uh, so definitely, I recommend this game. Everybody should give this a try. The miniatures and stuff are gorgeous. The gameplay is really dynamic. Uh, it just and it's a really a boatload of fun. It's it, it's one of those things where it takes kind of some more Euro game uh, style elements and then it just splashes it in with this this Ameritrash heavy metal heavy metal uh, vibe. It's got the rock and roll vibe to it, uh, and it just makes for a very exciting sort of bloodthirsty, blood ragey uh, style of game. So I definitely recommend uh, Blood Rage to uh, lots of different folks there. So that was number 30, uh, Blood Rage. We're going to go into number 29, and it's a little bit different of a vibe. This is London, designed by Martin Wallace. Uh, this is the second edition of London, uh, published by Osprey Games. Uh, it has a little bit in common with Blood Rage in that you are dealing with card play. 
So in this game, you're trying to sort of rebuild London. It's just been burned in the fire of 1666, I think it is. And you were trying to sort of reconstruct the city and uh, build up your own kind of tableau of cards. So you're kind of recreating different industries and stuff like that through the use of card play, acquiring different uh, locations and sort of, you know, little boroughs that you're trying to acquire that are going to give you special powers and trying to sort of avoid uh, generating too much poverty, too much kind of uh, wasteful actions, inefficient actions, and uh, trying not to take too many loans as per many Martin Wallace games. Uh, so the comparison to Blood Rage basically stops uh, at the card interaction. They're completely two different types of games. And actually the original edition of this, the first edition, did have a sort of a pseudo area control thing with a board and a map, but they've really kind of streamlined that and made it uh, kind of more interesting, I think. Uh, when you acquire burrows, you get these giant cards that give you different special powers or one-time abilities and stuff. Uh, this one uh, has been a big hit with the game group as well as the family. Uh, this is one of those that uh, you'll see kind of a theme, I think, moving forward through this top 50 list of kind of a multi-use card idea that really I, I just enjoy in any kind of game. So if a game is like a multi-use card game, like a Race for the Galaxy and some other games that are going to show up on this list, it already kind of has me kind of hooked into it. So if I use a card for its ability or I discard a number of cards to pay for other abilities and that kind of thing, that kind of hand management baked in decision making of, okay, I want to play this card and I want to waste these cards to pay for that. But these cards are also very good. So, you know, what's better? What do I want to do? You know, kind of timing that within the context or the arc of the game. Maybe I want to hold this card for later, but if it's much further down the road, it's not really going to, you know, maybe pay off if I hold on to it for too long. That, that kind of decision-making process just really strikes a chord with me. Uh, and so this one is actually very thematic because... Uh, the theme of it really is kind of a city builder game. So it wouldn't necessarily have to take place after a fire. You could just be sort of like saying, hey, we've got a little village and we're trying to grow it from a village to a town to a city. And everybody's trying to get kind of their slice of the pie in terms of rebuilding that, you know, generating enough money for themselves. And so there's a little bit of a selfish, uh, you know, self-motivated uh, goal here to try to also rebuild London but also to benefit your own sort of profit. And I kind of find that always an interesting theme in terms of a game concept. Not always the most altruistic theme maybe in the real world, uh, but I also like to see games like that because games you're trying to win usually. And so you want to benefit yourself, but it's also interesting because at the same time in this game, you're trying to win, you're trying to be the best, you're trying to be the richest person or whatever it is, or do the best job, you know, whatever the goal is. But then at the end of the day, if you take a look at what's happened, you've all sort of cooperatively, in a sense, worked together through the competition to actually recreate London in this case, or maybe some other uh, games that kind of works out like that. So anything where uh, players are sort of building up an industry, growing up a town, that kind of thing, as far as a Euro game goes, that kind of hits my stride where um, you can at the end you can sort of gather and see what you've constructed now it's a little bit abstracted here because it's just a bunch of cards laid out but even that you can see sort of the narrative of the game change where you start to build better and better industries you start to build uh actually the underground uh of london at this early stage and sort of try to start to evolve uh london and kind of bring it in into the future so to speak uh, so i like this at all the player counts it plays two to four 
I've played this in any player count. Two player works fine. The game uh, scales a little bit. There's actually a small uh, sort of variant rule for two players, but it's a very simple uh, rule. And uh, and I like to play it all the way up to four players. Uh, the play time is going to vary. I would say, especially with two players, you could get it done in about an hour. But with four, you might be pushing the two hour mark, depending on how much people have played. I've played this with people that have played it a lot, and definitely we can get a four player game in under two hours. So it's not too long of a game, but it can go a little bit long in the tooth with four players. But once everybody knows how to play, it's fine. Uh, so in terms of other games that you might like to play, like this London theme doesn't sound very interesting to you. Well, there's actually gonna be some games further up on the list that I would probably recommend. Uh, but another game that I kind of just popped into my head uh, in terms of the whole multi-use card idea that's not further up on this list is a game from Stronghold Games called Lagranja or Lagranja. And that is a very sort of complex uh, multi-use card game where you have this kind of player board and you're kind of doing this different farm stuff. And the cards have a lot of different uses. You can put them in all kind of arrangements across your player board. And it's a very crunchy, uh, chewable game. Probably even a little bit drier of a theme than this, but it's a little bit more on the complex side uh, than London. But I definitely am a, have a preference uh, for London. So that is the number 29. Now the number 28 is switching gear completely here and I'll just kind of show you I've got two boxes because I got the expansion and the base game so this is a nuclear winter 68 with the expansion here heart of darkness uh, this is I think probably the first sort of true war game uh, on this list although as you can tell uh, nuclear winter 68 it's not a historical war game although it's based in kind of a fantastical alternate history uh, what this is is sort of uh, uh, post-World War II where Germany, sorry to my German friends, has been uh, nuked and uh, it's caused sort of a uh, a different sort of uh, um, uh, weird zombie fantastical science fiction style faction to arise and come out of the bunkers in 1968. And then there's still some remnants of, uh, you know, German forces, and then there's the Allied forces, and so on. So it's an alternate history with some certainly science fiction or fantastical elements to it, which I like because uh, I'm going to contradict myself in a minute. But I kind of, you know, straight historical games can be a little bit too dry for me in terms of it's like trying to get into it. Um, but I do enjoy some. You'll see some in a minute. Uh, and I also had Twilight Struggle, I believe, in the previous video. Spoil if you haven't watched that video yet. But uh, I like that sort of splash of, you know, the unreal into this sort of historical setting. It helps me kind of detach a little bit from it. And then it just makes it a little bit more janky and a little bit more B-movie and Ameritrashy. And I can kind of get into it a little bit more. The, mechanically, why I like this, there's a couple of reasons. So one... It is what's called like a chit pull activation thing where you'll throw an activation tokens into a bag or a cup and pull it out. And then one of possibly, in this case, up to three players can and then activate. So everybody gets a certain amount of those activations, but you don't know quite what order things are going to activate in. And so that can really kind of swing uh, the kind of the tactics of the game a little bit. Everybody's going to be able to take their turns, but somebody might get like two turns in a row. You know, you might have your turn stacked towards the beginning or end of the overall round. And neither one of those is actually necessarily a good or a bad thing. It might be really good at, at a certain point to go first a whole bunch because you maybe get some multiple shots off, uh, you know, I, I, before your opponent can react. Whereas if you go a little bit early on and you're, you're taking turns too early, then you have 
sort of telegraph basically all of your movement and now your opponent can react to that. So it's so because of all that kind of uh, uh, probability that's going on, you have to bake that into your decision making to say, well, if I do all this stuff, maybe when they respond, they're going to get two turns to jump back and, in and hit me. So I don't want to just push these guys too far forward because they're just going to be walking into sort of a proverbial ambush. And so the balance of that has uh, has two things: that chip pull mechanic. One, it makes the turns you know very interesting. Uh, it just really keeps it lively. And the other sort of uh, side effect almost of that is it's very fun to play that solo. And that's how I've played this game uh, entirely. I've never played this with other people. And so what it happens is you can pull a chit and you can say, well, what would be the best thing for this particular faction or unit to do? And then you can do it without knowing if they're going to get another turn, without knowing you know, if one of their op- opponents is going to react. So you can kind of play in a silo and just play as best as you can and then once the other you know team gets pulled then you can play as best you can for that so it makes it very easy to solo uh this type of game so the whole chip pull mechanic is something i've really enjoyed and this is published by uh lock and load games and uh and they, they've published a, a various series of games like that gnt have some done some games like that so i really uh i really like that style of game i played a couple of others uh, from this particular publisher but i really like this one because uh, it's got a couple other things going on. The fantastical element I kind of talked about, but it also has kind of a campaign that you can play through. So it's a very cool narrative kind of thing. And because of the chip pull thing and the solo ability of it, it feels uh, the narrative really kind of comes alive because I'm not really invested in when I'm soloing in any one group. But over time, you kind of it's going to involve evolve all of this kind of narrative moments that are going to happen uh, over the course of the game. And so that just makes it a really fun experience. It's got some good crunchy mechanics in terms of uh, the way that you can give orders to the different HQ units and some of the different objectives and stuff like that. And because of this sort of uh, zombie-plagued uh, faction in there, it adds some really cool fantastical elements that make the combat for me a little bit more interesting than straight you know, machine guns and tanks all the time uh, with some other cool uh, you know, it, it adds to the narrative. It also adds to the mechanics and, and some of the abilities and stuff like that. Uh, as far as the uh, you know other games, I might recommend uh, in, in that of the style of game I mentioned. Any of the other kind of lock and load, you know, chip pull games. I do want to give a mention to a series of games that I would say uh, honestly, they barely missed this series. Barely missed the cut in my top fifty. I haven't played them enough recently to to, to say like, oh well, I could bump them up uh but it's it's, let me cut to the chase it's the no retreat series from gmt and so i would say you know the nuclear 68 setting aside its kind of weird theme it's kind of the most like a traditional war game i think of any game on this list if you can because you know it's a lot like uh uh, advanced squad leader and a bunch of these other games war games going back to the 70s so it has a lot of the roots in that and it feels very much like you're playing one of these you know old hex encounter uh, style war games the other series that i've really enjoyed is the no retreat series and that has a nice element of card play there's no fantastical elements there's a bunch of games that uh, different theaters uh, in in world war ii so you could have you know germany versus russia or uh france and versus germany and it has all the different theaters uh in the uh in the european theater anyway uh for world war ii and have really cool card element well like i said multi-use cards are involved there so i also just want to kind of give a shout out to that not really in the same ballpark as this it's sort of a larger scale 
uh, you know, operational theater point of view, like the whole war almost involved or a larger campaign within the war. Whereas nuclear 68 is a little bit more skirmishy, you know, just maybe a squad or a couple of squads. Uh, so that is number 28, uh, nuclear 68. And then contradicting myself now, number 27 here is going to be combat commander Europe. And uh, just, I kind of mentioned this last week, like I did not like group things into certain categories, but it seems like it kind of, things kind of group themselves. So you can kind of see, you know, where my tendencies kind of, uh, of, of you know, where they kind of land. So that this, it, it kind of makes sense that this would land alongside Nuclear 68. Um, now this, I would say, as, as I just got done talking in the last one, yeah, this is like a traditional, you know, hex encounter war game, but this has uh, an element to it that really sets it apart from, uh, you know, a lot of these older games. And specifically, it's the card mechanism, speaking again of multi-use cards, uh, where you have this deck of cards that are going to do a lot of things. They're going to allow you to activate uh, different units and things on the board and play cards for fire operations. And you're going to flip cards off of the deck. And that's going to um, add all kinds of different random events to the game. And frankly, like very cinematic events. There might be like a sniper that pops up and shoots at one of your units or some artillery fire or something that's sort of outside the scope of your very low-level skirmish uh, combat. So this is even lower level. There's no tanks or anything like this. It's just the infantry here. And so so the, this gets very visceral in the sense of all of this kind of randomized events and things that are sort of in your control, but not really, um, you know, really add to the immersion of this. And this is what I, I really do enjoy the Combat Commander uh, Europe game. I have not played any of the others. There's a ton of expansions and there's ones in the Pacific and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the card use, the card management uh, really adds to things. Uh, the way that you actually, there's no dice in the game. And so the randomization of, of dice rolls comes off the card deck. Uh, you have this cool initiative um, a card that you can, you can, you can get, get rid of it, give it to your opponent. And that will actually allow you to kind of do effectively a re-roll. And, but now they have it and they can do a re-roll. And there's a lot of other little crunchy things that you can go into it uh, with this game. Um, but it's just, like I said, this is the one that's tricky because this kind of starts to touch on like things that are hard to describe. Like I can't just describe to you, I like this little worker placement mechanic because when you do this and this and this, it's like this one kind of sucks me in and like you forget that you're playing a game a lot. And it gets into that visceral, like I said, cinematic quality uh, of a war game. And uh, I don't want to kind of get too hyperbolic. I'll talk more about this at the in the last videos of the series but like i kind of said in the first video i kind of sort of like vomited or sweated out these top 40 because it, we're in the kind of the top 30 now so any of these that are in this top 30 top 40 even in the top 20 in the first 10 a lot of them i could say this is my favorite game of all time and that in combat commander like every time i play it i'm like this game is amazing like this the game is a gift to me and even nuclear 68 and london and blood rage like at this level like all of these games it's it becomes a little bit more personal for me in terms of like i really like this game so you watch me and the, i do reviews and i'm like this is a good game and i try to break it down a little bit objectively and then you know okay and so now people have they always ask me you know what's your top 100 what's your top 50 and all this kind of stuff and so honestly like 
I know this is like, what did I say, this is number 27 or whatever, and you're like, well, that's way far away from number one. Yes and no. Uh, so I've probably played, God, I'm going to guess like a thousand games or, or several hundred games. So if you want to chop that off and then look at the, let's say I played a thousand games, you know, the top 50 of that, that's like less than a percentage or whatever it is. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a good, so the combat commander, I just want to stress to you, even though it's like number 27, you know, it's not even going to be in the last video. This is an amazing game and I just, I recommend everybody give it a shot. I know there's some people that won't be into playing a war game and stuff, and that's fine. But if you have any kind of inkling to this, just to really, like I said, the visceral cinematic tactical card play, it just sucks you right into the game. Uh, so I definitely recommend Combat uh, Commander Europe. Um, so it's only a two-player game. To get back on the topic with all of my sort of bullet points, it's only a two-player game. Each scenario is going to take you about an hour to play. Uh, so it's not really going to vary up too much. I've not played any scenarios that really went much longer than an hour. Although there may be some like longer ones or something that are in some of the expansions. And as far as games that this is actually like, yeah, I could say, uh, you know, Advanced Squad Leader, other games like that that are more skirmishy squad based games. But really, it does remind me of an older game that's been reprinted sort of off and on in the last couple of years called Upfront, which is a pure card game. And I really like that game too. That game would be in my top 100. Uh, but really, Combat Commander Europe sort of just killed that game off for me. Uh, and upfront, similar, we have just cards, and you have little cards for your squads and the weapons and stuff that they have. And you're flipping cards to see results, and it has a sort of abstract movement. So it's almost like up or a Combat Commander Europe is upfront the board game because it feels very similar in that same vibe. But then you have the actual spatial tactical stuff of the board, whereas upfront it's much more abstracted. You sort of have like relative distances to the different sort of columns of your units and stuff. So if you're kind of more of a card game player, uh, I would take a look at getting a print of, of upfront, which is an excellent game. Although, depending on the edition you get, the rulebook may be a little bit shaky. Uh, this has a much easier to read rulebook than uh, Combat. Combat Commander Europe has a much easier to read rulebook than Upfront. But definitely take a look at that, or if you were into like uh, Advanced Squad Leader or Band of Brothers was another one that I really liked of this style. Um, Conflict of Heroes is another one that I've, I've really played and enjoyed. But for me, uh, Combat Commander Europe is just the one that like just, just shoots way up the hierarchy there. So. That was number 27, Combat Commander Europe. Now changing gears totally is number 26, and this is Defenders of the Realm. And this was published by Eagle Griffin about 10 years ago or so, designed by Richard Launius. Uh, this is a, a straight co-op game. I think you can still get it in print. I'm not 100% sure about that. I know they are coming out with a second edition of it, which... Well, I'll tangent them in. I have zero interest in because I have a little bit that I've read about what they're going to do with it. It's like, oh, that's a completely different game than Defender's Realm. It doesn't really feel like an updated game. It feels like a different game with the same name. And I'm not sure it's even, you know, when the time frame to publish that is. But I highly recommend Defenders of the Realm. I might be lying here. Let me check. Nope, I am lying. I was going to say it's my favorite co-op game, but it's definitely one of the top co-ops uh, for me. And as you can tell from the name and the box cover, it's like a fantastical uh, game where you're running around trying to beat back these different monsters that have various minions and trying to beat them before they all get into the capital city in the center of the board. It plays a lot like a fantasy version of Pandemic. And in fact, the designer 
sort of uh, admittedly borrowed uh, sort of one of the the main mechanics from Pandemic of the, the uh, I don't remember what it's called Pandemic, like the disease deck, and then uh, sort of stole that per se and then tweaked a little bit. Um, and so what will kind of like reshuffle uh, the, the disease spread. So what can happen is the the minions as they spread across the board can sort of compound on each other and sort of snowball so you've got to kind of watch out for that it has that kind of similar effect of that and you get a certain number of actions and you can move around the board and you have different characters that have different special abilities just like in pandemic you might have the dispatcher or the medic and this you've got well if you get the expansion there's like 30 different <laughs> heroes or something and so you've got sorcerers and rogues and paladins and all that kind of stuff and uh, so you can actually go on little side quests and things, which is probably a good idea to do early in the game to give you cool special abilities and kind of sort of the, sort of like level up your character, and then you can get cooler stuff. And you're collecting these sets of cards as well to go and fight the um, uh, the big monster. So as the minions spread, you can you roll dice for combat and you fight them off. So it's not like in pandemic where you can just go tap you know knock cubes out uh, deterministically. This is all dice combat. But then you can sort of, this is the really neat part of it, is you can sort of team up with the other characters and the other players and uh, sort of pool together your cards to roll a whole mess of dice to try to beat back this large dragon or some other demon and that kind of thing and kill them off. Um, So it's sort of like a fantasy pandemic, like I said earlier. But just kind of all of the window dressing and all that kind of stuff and some of the smart little mechanical changes to it just punches this right right to the roof and uh, similar to what i kind of talked about eldritch horror i believe in the first video was what i what really kind of keeps me coming back to this system is that it is a system i feel like every time i play this there's like a narrative that kind of comes out and evolves and i get new surprises and, and and new things happen and i can throw stuff at it because i've got all the different expansions for it and you can have a bunch of dragons coming out or i can mix in some dragons with some of the other demons i can have these quests in or not these other quests and you know the different heroes are really going to spice things up um and so i can sort of replay and kind of revisit this world again and again and again with a very streamlined easy to pick up mechanics uh that are very you know i think really polished and elegant and all that fun stuff but then plug and play all this wacky stuff in it, and that's where the story kind of comes out of it. Um, so I definitely recommend uh, Defenders of the Realm. You gotta take a, a look at this game. Uh, I've already kind of mentioned the game that really that I would say, if you like Pandemic, take a look at this. Or if you look at this and like, that sounds interesting, but you know, I'm not a big fantasy person, well, I would say check out Pandemic, but like <laughs> most people, probably if you're watching my videos, you've seen Pandemic. Uh, maybe not though, and that may not everybody, but uh, most people have seen Pandemic, any kind of co-op that is just, this is just kind of an old school, good, you know, solid, crunchy co-op. Uh, you know, it doesn't really do anything by, you know, 2019 standards is like, I would say, innovative or anything. Um, but I don't think it really needs to. I think, to me, it still holds up. And I still have a blast uh, playing this game. Uh, and moving into, like, talking about player count, let's talk about that. As you can play it solo. I've played it solo a number of times. And i played it solo controlling four characters at once or controlling two characters and that kind of stuff. And the game does scale a little bit for the player count. I've played it in groups uh, with, ooh, no, I think I've played a two player with, with a friend and then two, three, and four player with a group. And it's just a lot of fun. And the thing that is, is cool about it, because it, like I said, it's easy to solo and it, it's just fine. It works soloable just fine. And it's really cool for that. But the thing that makes you, because sometimes a co-op, you can kind of feel like, well, 
do I really need these other people around? I mean, the co-op should really be good and invite interaction and things like that. And that's one of the things with Pandemic, the base game, or even like some of the other games from the same designer, Matt Leacock, like Forbidden Desert and Forbidden Island. I actually kind of prefer to play those solo just because I'm like, I want to sit down and have a nice little puzzle and just, you know, have a little drink and, you know, and play it. And it's fine that way. Where was I'm, Sometimes when I'm playing those with other people, it's it's fine, but like there's not really enough happening. Although Pandemic Legacy is the exception to that. I went through Season 2 with a friend, and that was really cool. But back to the point of Defenders of the Realm, this one, because of the way that you cooperate and come together, and you sort of meet up and you have this long arcing plan, we're like, okay, you're going to do this quest, I'm going to go fight these minions, we're going to start to collect these cards to sort of try to build up our strength and fight this monster and come together, we're going to fight them together at once. That is cool and that so that sort of binds together the players in an emotional sense you know what i mean so they're like they really feel like they're cooperating and working together uh so i would say i'd like this at all the different player counts uh, in terms of play time ooh, let's say 45 minutes to two hours because you can lose this game early-ish similar to how pandemic can kind of work itself out but if you are doing well and it's coming down to the line and it could be a close win or a close loss, you're going to push to an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer than that, just kind of depending. But I wouldn't say it would never go more than two hours. But the thing is, is like it's a big epic experience when you have a, you know, get your butt kicked right away. It's just a really dramatic epic experience and a lot of fun. So that is Defenders of the Realm. That was number... 26 and number 25 is Battle Lore Second Edition. Uh, so this is probably the first, I'd say, miniatures game. I think like a pure miniatures game. Even though this is a, a, a board game, uh, you're driving miniatures around through card play, uh, fighting head to head. So it's my army versus your army. So if you think about it, it's almost like Warhammer fantasy battles, the old Warhammer. Uh, the board game. So this feels very much like you're playing the board game version of that. Now it's also uh, a game in the series of the Command and Color series. So if you think like Memoir 44, which would be one of the games that I would recommend if you're not into fantasy. You know, you thought maybe a World War II version would be good. Uh, there's a new version coming out of Samurai Battles from GMT Games. That's also a really cool command and color system. And again, this is back to this whole card play idea where you have a hand of cards. You're going to activate different sort of areas of units based on the card player, different types of units based on the cards that you have. So again, similar to what I talked about in the chit pull system, where you go, okay, you might get a turn with this, but you might get a couple of turns in a row, that kind of thing. Like you might have a card that is the only way these units on your left flank could be activated is this card. So you don't necessarily want to spend that because then you may not draw a card for them, you know, for a couple of turns because you usually play a card, draw a card. So you don't want to activate them and leave them as a sitting duck. Maybe you want to hold that card back to play more reactively. Uh, so there's an interesting balance uh, with that. And it has some uh, unique dice uh, that are custom dice for the game. So they, that also might inform what you try to do, who you try to attack with and that kind of stuff. And where the units on the board, if I'm going to push them back for a retreat. So there's, it's a very simple, uh, elegant system again. But there's a lot to kind of chew on 
and you've got this kind of scenario generator almost with this one that uh, you, you'll have different layouts and deployment cards and stuff like that. So the, there is a little bit of a lead time with getting scenarios up and running and doing deployments. But this is one I would say, actually, if you're going to you know, want to set up a game and just want to play, let's play one game of Battle War, I would say, mm, that may not be worth it because for the setup and kind of getting your forces organized and stuff, you want to get this and play it like two or three times in a row. Uh, and then it'll be then it'll be worth the time. But again, this is one of those. Uh, the card play is really what's kind of elevating uh, this game for me above some of the others of, of the style of game. And the command and colors thing is just really a really cool system anyway. Uh, this just happens to be kind of my favorite one. And I like the fantasy thing. You get these uh, uh, these battle lore cards, the magic cards basically. So you can get uh, lore points up and spend them. And so that becomes just that this cool other kind of resource to manage as you kind of generate lore from different things. And then when do I want to fire off that big bomb, right? To to do this cool effect with some of the lore cards and things like that. So there's a lot of cool interactions with that. And uh, there's, I think there's four different factions for this now. So there's a lot of different kind of elements and gameplay styles that you can play with it. There's little uh, neutral dragons and trolls and stuff like that that you can use. It's just a, a blast to play. This is like, you know, you're like, I want to play just as a Meritrash game where you just smash stuff. And this is like, well, there you go. That's this game in a box. And so I definitely recommend it. It's just it's just a fun game. Like, you're just pushing stuff around, rolling dice, and smashing each other in the face. And that's what makes it really fun. Uh, it's a two-player-only game. I have thought about getting, like, a second copy of this if I can find one cheap. Because this is one of the problems with this is it's not being printed any longer. Uh, although I can see you can find stuff relatively cheap sometimes on sales. And I kind of want to get a second copy of the base game so I can have the two boards. And uh, there's official rules for doing this with some of the other command and color systems where you can have you know two versus two. So that could be kind of fun as well. But really, it's a two-player game. And the games are going to take you... Like I said, the setup is going to be a little bit of a bear for your first game, but once you kind of get the stuff set up and you know remember what all the different units are and stuff like that, then you can play it again. So a game would probably take about 30 minutes or so, 45 minutes. The setup for the first game is probably going to take about 30 minutes. Uh, no joke. But then, so if you set up 30 minutes, you can play a couple of games. So in like two or three hour space, you can play about three games, let's say, once you get rolling. Uh, there also is an app. For this game, I think it's still around. I'm not sure if it's still available on the app stores. But if you if you do get it, you can also get it on Steam and stuff. Uh, take a look at that. It, the rules are a little different on the app. Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of like how the app works sometimes, but I also kind of miss some of the randomness out of the, the the board game. The app makes some different changes. Uh, although I think you could adapt the rules for the app for this, but I'm not going to digress too much on that. But I definitely recommend this. Uh, as far as the other style of games, like I said, Memoir 44 and Samurai Battles is the other one. It has sort of this uh, extra resource you have to manage, which like this one with the lore element for the magic. In Samurai Battles, you have sort of like a morale type of thing. So if that was more of an interesting theme to you, uh, you know, more of a historical, realistic, uh, you know, in uh, feudal Japan, uh, then I would say take a look at Samurai Battles coming out. Because uh, it has that extra little resource to management above and beyond just the card play and you know your forces. So that's number twenty-five, Battle Lore. Now number twenty-four here is Lords of Hellas. Uh, this is a relatively recent game. It came out last year from Awakened Realms. Uh, this is very much a dudes on the map style game, and what that means is that 
you're going to have your forces, your army on the board, shoving around, doing combat, taking over territory control. Um, but you're also in this game sending your heroes out on quests. So you're controlling heroes individually, which may or may not necessarily interact with your larger armies. And then there's these demonic, huge monsters roaming the board that you have to do uh, combat with with your heroes. And those demonic monsters might try to mess with your army. So there's some different ways to interact with the game there. It's got multi-use cards for the combat. And the, the combat cards could be used for normal combat, for monster combat, and some other different effects. And you can get cool blessings and artifacts and all this other crazy stuff. Uh, so this... I, I kind of mentioned everything. It's got a weird, quirky theme I should mention as well. It's like futuristic ancient Greece. So it takes place in ancient Greece, but everything is like robotic and mechanical and like possessed by some kind of weird, very futuristic uh, technology. Um, it's, a, it's got a really cool uh, vibe to it. It almost feels like um, if you, there's a certain genre called Afrofuturism with like, if it's like futuristic African. This feels like that, but it's Greek. Uh, so actually it would be really cool to see a Afro-futuristic game sort of like this, but maybe that'll happen one day. Um, but so it's got that funky, you took sort of, uh, you pulled something out of, uh, you know, ancient society like Greek and then elevate it like they had Black Panther level futuristic technology, right? So that kind of stuff is really cool. Um, but let's talk about the mechanics here. Like I said, it's got multi-use cards, ding, ding, ding. That rings a bell for me. It's got a cool balance between... Uh, like I was talking about when I talked about Star Wars Rebellion, I think in the last video was you have the larger epic scale armies moving around and lots of combat, but then you have your personalized individual character and hero who's either going on quests or interacting with monsters or acting as a leader, kind of giving bonuses to different armies, depending on what the hero's special ability is. They'll do a lot of these things better or worse um, and sort of building out your civilization so it's got that, that personal narrative characterful type of thing and then your larger epic, you know, sort of high level view, strategic large battle thing happening at the same time. Um, so I like that kind of stuff where you, you can see the, the kind of the multiple elements of a story. You think of like a Star Wars or a Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. Sometimes it's about the large epic armies and sometimes that's the least important thing. It doesn't matter who the king is and the general is and all that. It matters about billy snow you know like and what his journey is or frodo and his little journey and all that stuff so it bounces between the personal and the large scale and this kind of does that very well as well so it's got all that stuff and like i said the, the multi-use card thing i want to come back to for a second because the way this does it here balancing the use of that card for you know what are you trying to accomplish is is that epic large-scale army fight thing is that the important thing is killing this monster the important thing you know you know so the balance of all that and how you manage all those resources it's just a very interesting and dynamic thing for this style of game uh so uh, let's talk about player count now i've not played this with two players uh no, and then, but three and four players, I've played it. I haven't played it with five and six players because if you get some of the expansions, you get some extra boards and things, some extra gods and stuff like that. Um, there's the next, the god mechanic thing and the way you do action stuff, that's really awesome too, but I'm not going to waste too much more time with that. But the action selection thing is very, very cool too. So it's got a lot of different extra stuff that you can do. Um, so, but the playtime with that, the game, 
Gosh, you're going to take about three hours for this game. I, not like not having played it with two, but with three and four players, especially as you get to know the game, they're, they're, like it is pretty elegant and streamlined, but there's a lot of little rules and things, so the first play or two is going to catch you off guard. Uh, but uh, I would say you should be able to get this done in less than three hours, and I think the game deserves that much time uh, because it has this, those elements of fantasy civilization stuff. Uh, so, yeah, you're just kind of moving armies around and running your hero around, but you're also, like, developing technology in some ways and upgrading certain things and your hero's getting better. So there is a little bit of a, a growth quality uh, to the game. So because it, because it has that sort of light civilization sort of frosting on it, then I think it's worth the three hours for that. Uh, and I would say if you're a fan of, like, Kemet or like Nexus Op, which is an older game, or Inish, or some of these other kind of dudes on the map, pure dudes on the map games, even like Blood Rage, which I talked about earlier, that's a little bit more abstracted, sort of. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they're both kind of the same degree of abstract, but different, I don't know. That does. I'll leave that to a scholar to argue about. But this, I think, if you like that kind of style of game, this will work well for you. But if, Or if, like, this theme was a little odd for you, maybe a Kemet or an Inish or something like that might fit the build more. Anyway, that's Lords of Health. That's number 24. Really cool game. And then number 23 is... That's a big one. Hang on. This is Caverna. Completely different game. This is the first, like... Yeah. So we haven't had a Euro on here in a while. We kind of dipped into the Ameritrash Wargame vibe. So this number 23, don't spill, is Caverna. This is uh, this is my favorite Uwe Rosenberg game. It's probably the most like Agricola, if you've ever played that. Uh, but this is uh, cave dwarves who are excavating out their, uh, their little village, their little home, and trying to uh, you know add different workshops and different industries and stuff like that, and uh, you know get resources, and they're also going to go on quests and things like that to uh, to get more resources and goods like that. Uh, it's a worker placement game. It's it's basically like Agricola 2.0 sort of, but I don't think it's like okay. So obviously I like this more than Agricola because Agricola is not on this list, and you know. This is the most like Agricola that of a game that isn't Agricola, but I don't. I think it's a separate thing. Like I think there's room probably in somebody's collection for both games if they really did like them because there's no card play in this game. So in Agricola, you have the worker placement and you have your little farm and stuff that you're trying to build and you're trying to get new workers and all that. But in that game, you have these occupation cards that can be drafted, which is really fun. And then those are like cool little combos and stuff that are sort of splashed in with uh, the worker placement that happens. And I think Agricola wasn't the number one game on Board Game Geek for good reason uh, for a couple of years there. I don't think Caverna's uh, got to number one yet, but I think it's actually past Caverna. I don't, it doesn't matter. But I, they're both really high up there on the Board Game Geek uh, rankings. Now I like this one mostly because of the theme but i also do like the sort of open-endedness of the gameplay because there's basically two modes there's like a basic mode and you have like all of these buildings to select but then you can play the advanced mode and you have like three times as many buildings to select from and so you can just kind of pick and choose and play around and to me that is one of the the most fun things a game can have. And a lot of these other games kind of have that, and some of the games coming up further on the list have that. 
But this one uh, sort of exemplifies that, where it's like, this is just a toolbox. I'm going to play around and build a combo. Oh, what was your score? I don't care. Because I was just trying to build a cool little engine that did cool stuff and hopefully, you know, tried to win and did the most points. Uh, but it's also, there's enough stuff going on in here where it's just like, today I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. You know, next day I'm going to do this. I'm going to go after beer. I'm going to go after questing. I'm going to go after, you know, doing more of the farming out in the field. I'm going to focus more on the buildings in the cave. And so you can kind of bounce back and forth uh, with that. And it gives you enough of a toolbox to actually explore. And it's just a fun thing, a world to go and visit and inhabit and play through and then not get your panties in a bunch about, you know, winning the game, which some people... I play this with, they do that, but it's like, I don't give a crap what my score was at the end of this. I just wanted to play and see how this engine worked. So good, you know, good for you. You got a hundred points and I got 80. Okay. So that's what this game is really about for me is, is that whole exploration aspect. Um, uh, so the, as far as the player count goes, I've played it two, three, and four for sure. Uh... I don't think I've played it with more than four, to be honest, and I don't know that I would. It plays up to seven, which would take a year and a half. <laughs> I don't know that I want to ever play it with more than four, to be honest. And I'd be perfectly happy never playing it with four again. I'd play it with two and three and just want to play around and goof off and, you know, like I said. So, yeah, as far as recommendation, I probably would cap this at four. I don't know that I'd play it with more than that because it would just take too long. And it's not that I don't feel like this seven player epicness really would give you anything back because at that point, like really who cares what anybody's score is because there's just too much going on for me to keep track of and try to really like, Oh, I'm going to block this spot from Billy. And meanwhile, Francesca, Pauline and George over there are doing whatever they want to do. So yeah, I don't really think having that much of a player count matters. Uh, as far as the play time, what does a box say? I'm curious. 30 minutes per player. Hmm. That smells right. Although it's, let's call it 45 minutes per player, I think. I think that's a little bit more accurate. Maybe it's somewhere in between, especially if you play this game a lot, then you could really pick up the, the pace with it because the barrier to play time with this is, again, all of the different buildings and stuff to just kind of digest and that's just going to cost some ap in, in some folks not everybody's going to be as loosey-goosey as, as as i can tend to be when i play games um you know they're going to really stress out about the most optimal thing and it's like okay well then let's call it 60 minutes per player <laughs> i'm not joking because if you play with somebody that was highly analysis paralysis and you're playing the full game of this like that's just they're, they're going to take you down with them <laughs> with this game. Uh, so that's about the playtime. Let's call it 45 minutes. That's like a compromise to me. 45 minutes per player. Now, uh, as far as uh, other games like this, uh, definitely, you know, Agricola is, is the one um, that I would say is most like this. Um, anyway, so that is Caverna number 23. And then now we're going to change directions completely here. We're going to go to number 22 and we're going to go to Werewords. Uh, this is a very light uh, sort of social deduction word game. Uh, fantastic. Uh, so just a spoiler alert, I think last time I did this, I did One Night Ultimate Werewolf, and it was like in my top five of all time. That game no longer exists for me. It's gone. It's left my collection. And then you're like, Joel, you got rid of the top five game? I don't care. I got no sentimental value on these little pieces of cardboard. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> This one could be gone tomorrow. All right. 
let's not horse around too much. Um, this one just killed off One Night Ultimate World. Killed off like all of them social deduction games, the Secret Hitler and uh, uh, the Resistance and all that kind of nonsense. This one just destroyed it. So what this is, is players will get roles. They will be villagers, they'll be werewolves, like a lot of those uh, social deduction games. But then you get an app and then you get a word and the mayor, who may be a werewolf, he may be friendly to the villagers, he gets a word and then people start asking him like 20 questions. And then so that other people basically have to guess the word. The mayor can't say anything. The mayor just says, uh, so one thing I say, uh, is it alive? Is always the first question I ask. So the, the game starts, I say, is it alive? They will give me a token that says yes or no. That's it. So we know, yes, it is alive or no, it isn't. And then you start to start to narrow it down there. Is it larger than a cell phone? Is it bigger than my house? And you just, you know, is it a person? Is it a place? Is it a woman? Is it a man? Are they dead? You know what I mean? So... You can start to just narrow that down, and then if they guess the word, then bing, they guess, and the villagers have won. But then the werewolves will reveal themselves, and they get to point out who the seer is. Now, the seer knows what the word is. They will see what the word is, but they can't be too obvious about guiding the players uh, you know, to the word, because then the werewolves will pick them, and then the, werewolf, the victory will be snatched away from the villagers, and the werewolves will, um, will win. However, if the players don't guess the word before time runs out, then the vil- and then everybody gets to vote, and they get to pick who one of the werewolves is. And so that actually could even be the mayor, uh, because maybe now the mayor can't lie, but the mayor can. Sometimes the questions can be a little vague, so the mayor can kind of try to throw you off. So sometimes it's tricky to pick out the mayor as a werewolf. Uh, so that's the game, and to me, it's great because a lot of these other resistance and were- one night ultimate werewolf and all that stuff. All it comes down is just players kibutzing and uh, sort of acting a fool. I mean, I mean not in a good way, kind of acting up, you know. And that's cool and that's really fun. Um, but after a while, there's like a million games like that. But this one, you do that. You, you can do all of that, but because you have this sort of uh, silo of this guessing this word, you're doing that within the confines of this very simple mechanic of guessing a word. And be, be sort of how players behave and how quickly they ask questions or not quickly. So if somebody's just sitting there silent and not helping out, maybe they're the seer because they're just a little too catatonic, you know, with trying to help out. Or maybe the timer's running out and they and they they just try to guess right away, you know, to sort of you know sort of win because then, you know, uh, they don't want to make it too obvious right at the end that the werewolf, you know, that they're the seer to the werewolves and so on. Sorry. But so with, and so instead of just like BSing the whole game, it's just constant BS. This has a little bit of that, but again, sort of shackled to that railroad track of guessing the word. And to me, that's just way more interesting because you not only are you trying to guess or even throw the word off if you're the werewolf trying to throw people off because you're trying to guess the word, you know, away from the real word. But, you know, you're trying to do all of that at the same time. So it's just much more interesting for me to play uh, this style of game like this. And this, this one keeps coming out. Now, this one here, just so you know, 
This is the deluxe version. 100% recommend getting this. It's got some extra rolls and things like that. You don't have to use right away, uh, but uh, it adds a little bit more spice to the game and then amps up the social deduction side of it uh, in a very cool way. So it just, to me, this Wereward's Deluxe, really, I should should call it Wereward's Deluxe, is really, man, just the cat's meow as far as all these social deduction games go. Because uh, you can just play it. Like, you can have people playing it that don't really vibe with social deduction, but they're just like, well, no, let's play the game where you try to guess the word, and that's just kind of, you know, silly fun by itself. It's like playing just one, which I mentioned a couple of videos ago. Anyway, so that's Werewords. I already talked about some of the others that you might like. One, one Night Ultimate Werewolf and Resistance and Secret Hitler and all that kind of stuff. Um, I would still recommend... Man, personally, like, I have no desire to play those games, and, I mean, somebody in my group can correct me if I'm wrong, but did we not play One Night Ultimate Werewolf like a hundred times? <laughs> I mean, we played that game a lot. So maybe I'm a little bit burnt out on that. But One Night Ultimate Werewolf with the Daybreak expansion? Whoosh, there you go. That'll give you fun for a year at least. Uh, but then after that, you can play Werewords and then, uh, or just play Werewords or whatever, or play them all. Doesn't matter to me. All right, so that's Werewords number 32. <clears throat> and then uh, number 31. No, not 31. 21 is going to be completely different. Court of the Medici. And this is from Z-Man Games. I don't think this is in print. Uh, this is a weird game. I absolutely love this game. But this game, like this game, I want to eat this game. It's so friggin' crazy and simple. Uh, it's a two-player only game. You have two identical decks of cards that are not dissimilar to... Uh, each of you having like your own suit of cards. So you have like, they're not like normal playing cards, but you have like zero to 13, I think is there, 15 is the, yeah, I think Duke is 15 or something. So you have these and you put some cards out in front of the table and then you're trying to play cards either in their own little piles, you can just have card piles all over the table, or you can add them to a stack. You add them to a stack of your cards or you can add them to a stack of another player's cards. And theoretically, what you're trying to do is get it down to where it's just your color cards out there. So let's say you have an eight out there and I have a five. Well, I can add a three to my stack and say, I'm going to do an attack with that stack because five plus three equals eight exactly. Then that's going to blow up the eight. And so the reason you might, uh, you know, you try to sort of play around the other player, like games can be very, very quick. This one is so hard to explain because I remember playing it for the first time and being like, this game is dumb. Like, what is the point of this? But here's the thing now, because there's a couple other things you can do in the game. You can like take and bury a card and put it at the bottom of your deck. And everybody has a very small fixed deck. And you have the, both have the exact same deck. There's a couple of, of cards like the zero and the one do special abilities. And you know, like, how many of the zero, did they use the zero, did they use the one, you know, is their duke out, is the 15 out, and you have this kind of inner and outer court type of thing, so you're trying to, like, dominate, either have, like, the largest value, or just dominate the inner court and destroy their inner court, and the theme of the game is basically, uh, okay, I'm going to try to explain this in, like, lamest terms, but if you watch Game of Thrones, 
like the theme is King's Landing. Like it's just people screwing each other over and and then like uh, you know stabbing each other in the back. You know plans within plans, just being like total dorks. And you're just trying. You're like, okay, I'm going to send the mistress over here, and the minister, and then the jester, and then this guy, and then oh, you know these people are dead or they're gone and they've been sent away to the jail, you know, whatever. Like it's just pure abstract numbers. But after you've played this a couple of times, you, this is one that you want a partner to play with, uh, so that you can know how each other plays because. You might be there's a lot of like baiting and stuff like that you can do, you can do there's just a lot of crazy replayability and you can have games just be like boom 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 over over done and then you just play it again or you can have games that go on for like a half an hour because there's just like you know so you're like sweating everything out um, so it's got the, the cool card stacking uh, mechanic and just a weird theme and like funky like Victorian paintings not Victorian Renaissance sorry you know Renaissance maybe Baroque era paintings and uh it's just really funky and man i just love this game um so but this one i think you gotta have a partner with it like i said it's two player only it's gonna take you 15 to 30 minutes depending on how the game goes and it's just it's just a riot and it's just such an ingenious uh level game and i'd say like okay for other games that you might like or if you like that game you might play this would be like Lost Cities or Battleline. There were two Reiner Knizia designs. Now this is a different vibe. This is there's a lot of funk in this one. Uh, it's a lot. It's not really mathy and stuff like that. There's a little bit of that, but there's also like there's just just that layer of like bluffing and like there's just behind this these eyes there's a giant middle finger staring right at you, <laughs> and there's just daggers going back and forth. Um, and again, the theme of it is just silliness because these, these dumb rich people from ancient Europe that are just going to die, you know? <laughs> so I don't know. I just get into that a little bit. Um, so that's Court of the Medici and, uh, just a wonk, bonkers game. So anyway, that is the third video. Uh, so yeah, sorry. This is, this, uh, this is my little example. I try to keep it hidden on the videos of my very dark sense of humor. Um, and this game really plays into that. Um, so anyway, that's what is that, 21 to 30. So tomorrow we've got the top 20 and then the top 10 in two days. So thank you very much.